Today on Locked On Canadians, why we should not be worrying about Philip Meshar, what happened to Jan Meshach, and what is the greatest need in the Montreal Canadiens scouting department. You are Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to episode 892 of your first listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more and visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. My name is Laura Saba, and also known as the Active Stick, and I'm joined, or I'm not joined today, by my wonderful co-host Scott Matla. Instead, I am joined by the wonderful Hattie Kalakesh and Sebastian High of the uh, Locked On NHL Prospects podcast. Their work can also be found on Dauber Prospects. Sebastian is the uh, head scout and the director of um, uh, European scouting, and Hattie is the director of North American scouting at Dauber Prospects. Uh, Hattie's work can also be found on Habs Eyes on the Prize. Today, we talk about Philip Meshar and why people need to stop writing him off. We also wonder or ponder, or I ask the question, what happened to Jan Meshach? Uh, and then we have listener questions. And today, the, the portion that I've left in this episode is uh, mostly to do with needs in the Montreal Canadiens scouting department. So without further ado, here's Sebastian and Hattie. Speaking of individual positions, I do want to talk a little bit about Philip Meshar. We've been a very defenseman-heavy conversation thus far. Uh, But, you know, I I, I wanted to really, like, use your expertise to talk about things that maybe Habs fans, like, questions that Habs fans really, really have. Like, you know, we've talked so much about so many other prospects and things like that. But Philip Mayshore, to me, is a huge question mark because it wasn't completely out of nowhere when the Canadians drafted him, but it was kind of a surprise, right? Like, we didn't think that that's the direction that they would have been going in. Um, And I think one thing that's kind of really really um had given canadians fans pause is the year that he had but from talking to you guys as well as other you know public scouting experts it feels like philip mayshore was not necessarily on the optimal team for him to be making progress right and i'm trying to be nice (laughs) it was it was not a good team. Uh, let's just say that. Uh, I think he went through three coaches last year yeah. or something like that. It was it was rough. It wasn't a great environment. Um, I think both both me and Hattie are 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 bigger fans of Meshar than the average public scout. Um, mm. So that that just just putting that out there that that is our perspective. Uh, I, I like the pick. I have a question though. Yes, is it because we're all Habs fans? No, because I I mean look, I I had Meshar ranked 18th overall. Okay. in 2020 yeah i had him in the same range approximately like i i thought getting him at 26 was good value it wasn't like oh my god amazing pick value in my in my view but it was really solid uh and like it wasn't i would have reach i, I yeah, not 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 from my perspective uh i, I mean i would have picked brad lambert i would have been i would have been sprinting to the podium to, to draft brad lambert but philip meshar i thought was a good pick and while yes my my view has perhaps diminished a little bit in the last year 
I think a lot of Habs fans are completely writing him off. Like, this is a bust. He will never play for the Habs. Like, it's really intense. And this is all after uh, there were multiple articles written on Philip Meshar, the, the, the first round draft pick with the least pressure in Habs history after he was picked because 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 he wasn't the first overall pick, right? So like, mm-hmm. oh, Slavkovsky has all the pressure, therefore Meshar will have none. And then a year later, and seemingly unanimously, the Habs fan base has written him off. And I think that's a real overcorrection. Like, yes, his year wasn't amazing. You can look at the raw stats and be like, that's not ideal. Yeah. However, look, in terms of... of chance generation uh in terms of like like primary assists and uh past the slot philip meshar was among the top three in the entire ohl this season yeah. like he was he was he really elevated his playmaking game i thought in his draft year he was at his best kind of in the bumper role as a one-time option i thought his his shot was a little bit better than his playmaking that completely changed the d plus one i thought his playmaking really took some steps and the goal scoring kind of it petered off a little bit. It wasn't quite as strong as as in his draft year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I thought his defensive game was okay. I thought he really worked on his physicality in small areas. And that's all part of adapting to the North American ice. Despite going from a pro league to a junior one, he had to get used to having less space to work with. Like, yep. yes, he perhaps has a bit more time, but he has less space. And that is something that he had to adapt to. Uh, I definitely think he should be in the AHL this season. I don't. I don't think the OHL any longer would be too good for his confidence uh, at this point. Uh, I, I think that that was an experiment that could have worked well if it hadn't been Kitchener. Yeah. Uh, but but I think in the AHL he will be in a pro system, and he's the type of player that, in my view, relies on having teammates that are at his level. Like mm-hmm. you, he's not the type of player that will be carrying a line but he can really complement a line very, very well. And I think yeah. he still has middle six potential as a really good complementary piece rather than, than an offensive driver. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you if you put him in the role in the AHL with players like Riley Kidney or Joshua Roy, or yes, Yolona should be in the NHL this year. But, but, yeah, hopefully. But, but Laval will have a, a decent amount of offensive talent uh, and young talent, like, like raw skill. I would put Meshar right in with that. I would yeah. maybe even consider giving Slavkovsky a bit of time in Laval, maybe putting him on a line with Meshar. I think that could be fun for both of them. I also think Slavkovsky would benefit from having uh, a bit of a, a, a bit of an opportunity to like take control of some games. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think there are options with Meshar, but I think the AHL is uh, is the ideal one. Yeah, no, fully agreed there. Um, for me, the two things that stood out majorly in Meshar's game in his draft year were his anticipation and his skating. Um, and he's he's been put in situations in Kitchener where he hasn't been able to flash either, either of those skills. So right now what I'm looking at for Meshar is I want him to be able to carry the puck up the ice, to, to make reads off the puck, to get uh, into pockets of space. You know, the main thing, like Sebastian said, in his draft year, you really saw his shots stand out because he was so good at finding space off the puck. He was so good at hitting pockets of space at just the right time and, and getting shots off quickly. Um, but he can incorporate that anticipation into his playmaking game as well. He can anticipate his teammates' routes just the way, the same way that he would do them, but he needs teammates that think the game like he does, and he just doesn't have that in Kitchener right now. He played a bit of the year with Francesco Pinelli, who's a really, really good um, OHL player. And very, very smart. Very intelligent, but other than outside of that, when he was dropped to the third line, when he was dropped to the fourth line, you saw a big difference, and he was throwing pucks to the slot at, at 
in, in decent ways and very intelligent ways, but there was no one there to, to, to convert. So playing in the AHL, especially in a top six with guys who have that intelligence, who have that awareness, who can think the game at his level, anticipate the game at his level, is just going to be so good for his game. And like Sebastian said, I feel like a lot of the fan base has written him off just because he had a bad year on a bad team. Um, but I feel like if you put him on any other OHL team with a bit more firepower, with a bit more, you know, offensive drive in terms of the guys that can carry the puck up the ice, that can hit those pockets of space, I, I feel like you would see a completely different Philip Nishar. And I think that's what I think this year will be very telling. And I feel like it's going to I think he's going to come a long way in Habs fans eyes this year. Yep. I think he confirmed that he's been promised he's going to be played in Laval. I haven't heard anything from the organization, though. Um, but I would really hope that they don't send him back to a situation like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, if I were, I if I were Mayshar, I'd just be like, I don't, I'm not signing with the Canadians. I'm never signing back with you guys. Um, that, that's just my opinion. But I think that Laval is a great place for him. And I, I also think that it'll give him an opportunity to kind of endear himself to the fan base, which isn't exactly his role, right? Like his role is to develop to his best ability. But yeah. I think like if I if I see flashes of what you were talking about, right? Like that anticipation um and all of that, like I think it's just gonna be so exciting for Canadian fans. I like I, I feel really bad just because like he's always kind of seemed like like a an afterthought or a question mark or a, like what were the you know what were the Canadians doing? But I feel really encouraged by the fact that you both had him ranked uh, as high as you did last year yeah. pre pre draft. Um, and I also uh, I think one of the the other things too is that like when you're when you draft a player you were talking about d plus one years like there's expectations as to where they're going to be at the end of the year the fact that he didn't reach them aren't his fault in this scenario usually it's like it's a combination of player and situation in this case i feel like that situation was just so like drag him down so far that any progress he would have made had this has been canceled out by the context right yeah and i mean there's also this whole jan mishak shell shock thing going on with the habs fan base where just people yeah. think that you know because jan mishak was more or less rushed into um well he, he was kind of stuck on a team where he wasn't playing an offensive role he was playing a shutdown role and then when he hit the NHL, he wasn't able to keep up because he was kind of forced into a role that didn't bring out the best element of his game didn't make him face the best scenarios to improve those kind of areas of his game that this is going to be the same with meshar but meshar is already a just a foundationally better skater overall than meshar by far he, he's um, already a better player than meshar is now yeah, uh, uh, that God, yeah. yeah. Uh, another reason that I think that those comparisons are made is because their names are similar. I mean, if, I, yeah. if I'm if I'm mis mixing them up right now, <laughs> yeah, not ideal. It's like but it I think was a that's scouting report on Mishak and, and we thought it was Meshar all along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have so much more coming up with Sebastian and Hattie, but first, this episode is brought to you by. FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook for a reason. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets, up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 that you can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to the first, going to get the first home run all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. 
FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball, and Locked On. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like there's there's this kind of shell shock going on regarding that player and how he developed, but it's just such a unique development curve. And you know, yes, Meshar fall is following the same path of going from a pro team in uh, Central Europe to uh, going the to the OHL and then AHL. hopefully AHL, and and that's scaring people off. But you know, for me, it's just it's important for a player to get to the level where they're going to stay and develop as much as possible. Cause it, we've seen it with a guy like, um, God, I forget his name. He's a bust that was drafted 11th overall by the Habs in 2010. Um, Louis Leblanc. Oh. Uh, yeah. We saw how bad it was for how bad it is for a player to go. He, I think, I think Leblanc played in four leagues in three years, which was just terrible for his development because he wasn't able to develop. You consistency. need consistency. Exactly. Yeah. Need stability, so I, feel, I think. Exactly. Yeah, sure. And Mesh and, and Mesh are, certainly needs that but i feel like in his in his situation right now i feel like if he goes to the ahl and then they're like oh he's not good enough let's send him back to the ohl that'll be ter- terrible for him but if they stick with him in the ahl for a whole year and then a second or even a third year in the ahl well you'll see a very different Jan mishak by the end uh, <laughs> Meshar by the end of it. See, we, we, both, it we, we both did it. We both did exactly. it. So yeah, you'll yeah. see a completely different player by year three. But if you're just yeah. consistently just throwing him up and down lineups and playing him in leagues that he has no business playing in, then he's not going to develop the way he can. It's just it. I feel like there's a lot of galaxy braining happening with 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 prospects sometimes, and just like simplifying things, just being like, okay, this player needs consistency and stability. Let's give him that, but not at a level where he's just he's not getting the teammates he needs. Yeah. You know, right. it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. I feel, and I think I, I would, was sorry. Go on. <laughs> I would love to see the ha- like Laval kind of stick him with a stable line mate as well, and kind yeah. of stick them together. I think that um, Meshar and Riley Kidney would be an excellent fit oh, in yeah. terms of pace and speed and skill and intelligence. Uh, you'd have to have a a third line mate there that can pick up the pieces defensively a little bit at least to start and insulate them a bit both both physically and defensively but i think that those two could work really nicely and laval has a lot of players that i think could fit in that role like even like a guy like lucas condotta i think could be quite solid in, in that type of mitchell of, stevens joshua mitchell Roy, even joshua Roy, if, i mean that would be my my, my preferred one but it, yeah. i don't know if they're going to do a kid line on a second <laughs> yeah. line but no, uh, sure. I, i'd love to see it um, so I did want to, um, really quickly, because I know we want to get onto the listener questions and I've had you guys on for so long, um, really quickly, Ayan Mishak, everybody's kind of lost hope. Do you think it's something, it's a, it's a, it's a ship that can be righted? Not really. No. At this point, like, I, I, I think, I think his, his 19 year old season, uh, barely season, but where he was in the AHL for half the year, I think that that did some damage that just hasn't been rectified. Like I think it, like like this, like last season was for me the last year where I was like, if he turns it around now, I think there's still a, a straightforward path. But he would have needed to get a a top six opportunity, uh, mm-hmm. and he would have had to like really stick with it. And he got I think a couple games in the top six, but they were really few and far between. And in the yeah. end, he had what, like 10 points in the season in the AHL as like, and he's what, 21, 22 now. The skill is still there. There are still these flashes of the player that the Habs drafted, but it was a really, really unfortunate circumstance. And I think that of all the Habs prospects uh, or even players in general, I don't know if on a on like a professional standpoint, if anyone suffered more from the pandemic than Jan Mishak. Yeah. 
which really sucks honestly sure. like i feel so bad because like he seems like such a positive kid and you know everyone like... loves him every teammate adores him like every interview you have where teammates talk about him they love him it really sucks and uh i i i really hope he proves me wrong on on, on kind of writing him off now at this at this stage in his career I hope so too. All right, let's get to Canadians fans' questions for you guys. Um, Randy Hansen asks, does anyone know if the Habs still have a private combine in Europe to get a good look at undrafted players? So I got asked this and started like researching it, and I couldn't find anything about even a previous version of this. There was. They dis- discovered uh, like uh, Romanov uh, in that combine. Yeah. Uh, I think that was a thing of the Bergevin era, era. I don't think it's been continued since, from what I've heard, unless mm-hmm. they're they're doing it super, super like low down. Where, I mean, I I think that me and Hattie are pretty in touch in terms of like the merger of scouting and Habs. Uh, mm-hmm. Where, it, I don't think. I mean, Hattie, have you heard of this continuing? Because if we both haven't, I doubt it is. I wouldn't put it past the Habs True. to have continued it, but. From I haven't heard anything since the whole Romanov spiel about this. Yeah. So yeah, it would have been, been pre-pandemic. Years. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Reddy has another question, and this is a very subjective question. What is currently the most pressing need in the scouting department? So let's say amateur scouting, because that's your that's yeah. your baby. Like, let's forget about and, pro scouting. What I do mean, you think I, I, I think the pro scouting is a lot stronger for the Habs. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean. How do you start? I need to collect my thoughts on this one. Uh, I'd say, um, I mean, they've added a lot of great people in the amateur scouting side. I think that Chris Boucher has been doing a fantastic job in terms of kind of quantifying um, and, and verbalizing a lot of the kind of more mathematical things in hockey to to the scouting uh, fan base, uh, to the scouting base rather of the Habs. But for me, I feel like a big concern is I don't think there's a strong enough voice in the uh, Habs kind of scouting staff regarding kind of uh, shouldering Chris Boucher in terms of analytics, in terms of getting into the more in-depth analysis of kind of projections of what skills work at the NHL level. Cause there's a lot of the picks that they made, not just this year, but you know, even last year, two years ago, there were some picks, especially at the top end, where I felt like a lot of it was Nick Bobrov kind of just pushing for the guy that he likes and and making the closing argument on that. I'm, I'm thinking of Slavkovsky, obviously, Reinbacher this year. Um, you know, the later round picks, I felt, were more kind of free form and were more kind of a general uh, consensus of the scouts. But I feel like just decentralizing the first pick in the draft would be so important because... I feel like if you gave a voice to some of the other guys in that in that in the locker room, you would probably have seen a Zach Benson or Matt Vemishkov picked at fifth overall. I wouldn't be surprised at all. So just having someone else to shoulder um, the scouting staff to uplift their voices to make sure that it's kind of it's not a single person decision at the end of the day for the first overall pick or the fifth overall pick or that kind of thing because those picks are important. You get them once in once in a decade, hopefully. Yeah. So you know. You want to hit on those picks, and and you don't want the safe pick. You want to hit for, you know, the Habs have been missing an 80-plus point guy for, what, the past 20 years? Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like it's a, it's about time that kind of the, the ship is, is steered in that direction so that we can get that elite player, no matter where we pick him. But I, usually you don't get those guys outside of the top five. And when you have two two top five picks in the last two drafts and you don't leave the draft with one guy who's projected to be an 80-plus point guy it's a struggle 
and that's something that I feel like is is a is a pressing need in the scouting department, just to have more of a focus on upside and have more people in there in order to give their voices and to to make it less of a kind of one man show in terms of who gets picked in the in that top five. And now here's more with Hattie Kalakesh and Sebastian High of Locked On NHL Prospects. I, I agree. I think I think my, my, my biggest criticism would be communication, both internally and externally. Um, my, my sense has been that there's a little bit of a, as Hattie kind of said, a bit of a power imbalance within the scouting staff because <laughs> every interview you have with like Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon is all about, we want communication. We want all of the arms of this organization to be working together. Yeah. Amateur scouting is the one place where I've, I, I'm not seeing that happen at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the drafts I don't find are overly coherent. And mm-hmm. if you had an entire staff doing it together entirely, I think it would be a bit more coherent than yeah. it is. Like a bit more like, like right now we're seeing, like, like I was floored by the Habs draft like th- th- this year. Like I was, yeah. I was quite stunned and as were all the public scouts sitting around me at the draft. Uh, like we were all kind of like looking around, like, are we seeing the same thing just because yeah. it was so dramatically different from 2022 and it's the same scouting staff. Right. And when you have that inconsistency in, 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 in perhaps <laughs> that internal communicate communication at the very least, you need to communicate to the fans very, very clearly as to why you're making these decisions. And I thought that the Habs press conference with, uh, with their head scouts, was bad. I think a lot of the fan frustration boiled down from that in terms of their message was basically, we like this guy, we pick him. And then the, the next pick, oh, we liked him, we pick him, right? If you were to really delve down into, into the details saying, we picked David Reinbacher because A, B, C, D, right? Like we love this. We think that we that we think that we can build, build him into a really effective top four piece, perhaps in terms of this style is kind of what we're thinking. I think transparency in terms of the draft would be really, really useful in terms of mitigating fan frustration. And I think that one of the reasons that the Habs fan base lashed out so viciously after the draft was because the organization gave them nothing. They didn't give them any, any real explanations. Like it was yeah. all very wishy-washy. Like in ter- like, they didn't communicate any of their actual scouting reasons for picking the players that they picked. It was entirely yeah. character based in terms of what they were saying. I think, look, if you were to say, if they had picked Reinbacher and and their entire draft class as they did, but they went out and every single pick, they they give a clear outline. This is why we're hopeful uh, and this is why we're taking that risk at the spot. I can understand it. I think I would have a lot of respect for a team being gutsy enough to do that. What bugged me and what I think bugs a lot of fans is that they just didn't communicate. And I think that their communication skills internally may not be a whole lot better than their communication skills with the fan base on that one standpoint. So at the very least, maybe adding like some media people that are connected with the amateur scouting staff to kind of communicate better to the fan base, why they're making decisions that that they're making. Uh, But yeah, I think communication as a whole is the one is the thing that's mainly lacking here because at the look, fans want some consistency, and uh, the draft was uh, not exactly consistent with either what the scouts have said in the past or what the Habs front office has said their idea is to build this team. Like, 
the ha- as we've discussed, the Habs have a ton of depth in terms of prospects and in the NHL. Like, there's no concern about what the Habs' future bottom six is or their future bottom pairing or backup goaltending. I think all that's pretty much set. So why are you spending your third pick of the draft on a D plus one who went under half a point a game in the OHL as a forward? Right? Like, if you make that pick, and I think it's a beautiful storyline for the the Jackeye family that, like, these are two amazing underdog stories. They're ending up with their favorite teams. Uh, it's It's an immigrant family. I think it's all amazing and beautiful. But the team still had to communicate to the fans this is not just a pick of this being the brother of Arbor Jackeye. This is why we're picking Florian. And they never did. They just said, oh, good character, intense, and left it at that. Yeah. And I think there's an issue with that. And how demoralizing is that as well for the players, where their team isn't even selling them to their fan base? I agree. Just, I feel like it would be a lot just a lot more moralizing for the for the prospects getting picked to be like, oh, this team likes me for these reasons. Let me build off of that. I think it's everyone involved. Exactly. Like, tr- tr- I think the Habs have like, like they had a kind of a trend of being more transparent with some things, uh, but they've really, really dialed that back. And there's been a real lack of transparency. I think there's a lot of frustration boiling from that. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. You know, who's like the last couple of drafts I've really, really enjoyed is Buffalo, which pains me to say, because they're going to be in the division been, and contending at the same time. Good. Buffalo, been Buffalo's well. really been. Yeah. <laughs> Not so, in Carolina, of course, but you know, Carolina's Carolina. There's a, there, there, there's a few Carolina. teams that have been drafting excellently recently. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I would like the Canadians to be consistent in that department because I, I, I really liked their draft last year. The 2022, I loved it. Again, it was like a little bit all over the place in terms of decisions. There was no unifying identity like there is with some of these other teams, which is fine. Like thinking outside the box is fine. Um, I, I do want to get to a couple more questions. There's some longer ones, which we'll leave for another day, but I want to get to a couple more questions just because I don't want to keep you guys too much longer. Um, so here's a question from listener Kenneth. I have a question for the prospect experts. What prospects with a high upside that other teams are down on or losing interest in could the Habs pick up cheap and have a change of scenery help them achieve their potential? So Ooh. in all of your scouting and all of all of your prospect work, is there somebody who's currently, I guess, belongs to another team that maybe isn't getting as much of, of a fair shake by their team that the Habs could take advantage um, of? My answer would have been Matthew Phillips last year, but he's in Washington now and he's probably going to get a shot. Um, yeah. It's a tough one. Can I... Can I go with Francesco Pinelli? I feel like he's Fair. he's kind of getting buried a bit in the LA Kings uh, prospect pool, and I feel like he's got just he's one of the smartest players I've watched ever. Uh, he's just he's so really so intelligent, smart. and you know, you add on top of that his goal scoring ability, you add on top of that his playmaking game, and it's just all he's really missing is a is an extra gear of skating. And I feel like a team like the Leafs would just, I mean, if they if they trade. I don't know, a third round pick or a second round pick for for French, for Frankie Pinelli, get him in their system, have Barb, Barb Underhill work on, work with him for like two, three years. You might get a top six player. You know, there, there's guys like that that I think are, are getting severely undervalued and overlooked, um, you know, in certain prospect pools that you can kind of bank on that. Um, I feel like Carolina could do away with some of their prospects. I feel like they would be willing to trade a Gleb Cherkozov or, um, you know, a, a Jaden Perron, even after the draft, that kind of thing for Jackson for Blake, maybe Jackson Blake would be also great value. Um, there's guys like that that you can find in almost every prospect goal. All you need to do is just be confident in your amateur scouting department and, and be confident patient. In, 
Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of teams that have a lot of prospect depth that they could do away with one of these guys and not be too worried about it. And they could get some draft capital out of it. So there's value here and there. I wouldn't say there's any names that really stand out massively. But in terms of like me, high upside, I think it's tougher. And it's, yeah. I think, also why the Habs aren't entirely in the market for these types of deals. Because, again, they have depth. And and these are the types of deals where you're trying to buy low on players that uh, might have like a, a smidgen of that top six upside or top four upside. But it's just not that slam dunk. Because yeah. usually when, when players are like 21, 22 it's pretty clear to most people uh, and, and, and like scouts and fans alike uh, if they have a reasonable chance at that type of role or not. Yeah. I think, I think one name I'll throw out there as an option would be Sean Barron's. I think Sean Barron's his production dropped off last season, uh, but he's a really mobile uh, offensive defenseman, exceptional yeah. playmaker. Uh, and really physical I, for his size too. Really he's physical, tiny, but he's so feisty. He, he's intelligent. He he plays through pressure really well. He's a solid enough in zone defender. Uh, he he's really fun, and I think that th- with him you can get a second pairing, a, a potential second pairing defenseman, and I think you would be paying significantly less than that price to acquire him. I would really like to thank Haggy and Sebastian for their time. You can find them on Twitter. Uh, Hadi is Hadi at Hadi K underscore scouting. Uh, Sebastian is at high underscore Sebastian. You can also find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. Please make sure you're lo- you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you hear podcasts as well as on uh, YouTube. You can email us at lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. Please tweet us. Uh, share what you think. Tell your friends about us. If you like this episode, please share it. And in the meantime, our Friday episode is a prospect mailbag. That's right. All your questions that you ask, it's a prospect mailbag coming up for you on Friday.